The History of Literature podcast is a member of the Podglomerate Network and Lit Hub Radio. Hello, everyone. This is Jack Wilson coming to you in the midst of the holiday season here in America, a week or so from Thanksgiving, six weeks until Christmas. Halloween has come and gone, like birthdays and back-to-school weeks and everything else this year, and the pandemic and the quarantine have made them all a little more isolating. A little more isolating? A lot more isolating. Devastating loneliness has set in. I hope you are all okay. We are going to make it through, dear listeners, but for now, I am feeling the long haul of illness and the spread of disease and not being able to escape. So, one of the ways we manage as we wait for a vaccine or some kind of relief, is to imagine better days. Better days in the past and better days in the future. Maybe this is why Mike and I are turning to literature and why, in particular, our minds have turned to travel. Traveling is such a huge part of my life. The feeling of being on the open road, the feeling of going from point A to point B, meeting new people, experiencing new things, And even just the daily routine of travel, the grind, the commuter train, the frequent Acela trips from D.C. to New York, all that is gone. Now I go out once a week to make sure the car battery doesn't die. And already I missed so many weeks at one stretch that the battery did die and I had to drag out the jumper cables to start it up. Which always makes me feel like kind of a guy's guy. It's one of the few car things I can do. One of those moments when the Wisconsin kid in me kicks in and I can blast electricity from one engine to another with a few sparks flashing out, but not hurting anyone or blowing up either car. That felt good. But for the most part, I have not had as many victories, except maybe for the podcast. We are doing better than ever, people. The feedback has been wonderful. I'm very glad we're there for you. We've been there for you. Speaking of loneliness, an awful lot of people have emailed me to tell me that they're using the show to help cut through the loneliness and the isolation. And to that, I can only say you are helping me to get through it as well, even though I'm just talking. (laughs) I'm still alone talking. It helps to know you're listening. Okay, this sounds like a funeral. I had a good experience once at an office Christmas party. It was in a restaurant, and for some reason, the boss decided he needed to talk about the past year and his future goals for the organization, and he turned a a noisy and pleasant private room in a restaurant into something silent as we all listened to him drone on about his thoughts and views, which were pompous and, frankly, kind of irritating. And while we were sitting there listening... A noisy party-goer from one of the other parties in the restaurant slid open the door. It was like a wall. Slid open our partition. Maybe he was looking for his party and found the wrong place or whatever he was doing. He slid open the door and he, he listened for a moment and then he said, What's this? An AA meeting? It was beautiful. Nobody dared to say anything or to laugh, but my friend and I laughed We caught each other's eye and couldn't stop laughing. And finally, people saw us trying to keep it together, and they started laughing. And in the end, our boss wrapped up his speech quickly and got out of there so we could all toast. And then he erupted in laughter. 
and he got out of there quickly. So he wasn't as humiliated as much as he might have been had he stayed up there while the cascade of laughter washed over him and his plans and his goals. So when I go through that opening statement, like I just did with all that doom and gloom about the pandemic, I imagine someone sliding open the door and saying, what's this, Jack, an AA meeting? No, no, it's not. We will pick things up and turn things around. Mike Palindrome is here, and that always lifts my spirits. What's this, an AA meeting? No, it is the history of literature. Okay, here we go, people. Planes and trains and automobiles. How do those three things do in literature? How do people get around in books? And which mode of transportation is the most literary? That's the subject for our podcast today. Kind of a fun one, a light one, a frothy one. Boy, getting around is such a prominent part of settings. We talk about settings in terms of place. We talk about cities. We talk about deserts. We talk about farms and oceans and basements and skyscrapers. When we talk about setting, we talk about places, houses, bars, and the characters being in those places, stuck there. But what about the the way they get around? Place to place, often that's more important to the experience and to our experience as readers Just as transportation in real life is often more vivid and striking than being in one place ever is, what do stand-up comics talk about when they're looking for things to entertain their audience with? Sitting on the couch? Well, sometimes, I suppose, but much more often, it's about being on the plane. The endlessly fascinating experiences that happen in that self-contained little world on a plane, the things you eat and the little packages and the things that are set up for you in the bathrooms and the way the seats are and the windows and the strangeness of it all and the people you meet too, your fellow passengers, the flight attendants, the captains, the feeling you have as you are transported around. It's rich material. Well, it's rich for authors too. Is it the number one planes? We will see. Let's set the mood a little bit here. First with some Alfred Hitchcock. Here's an encounter on a train. Not from the movie Strangers on a Train, where two men meet and decide to kill one another's wives. And not from The Lady Vanishes, another great train movie. Or The 39 Steps, where the characters are on a wild chase. But from North by Northwest, where Cary Grant and Eva Marie Saint are getting to know one another. He's on the run. She's there to catch him, so to speak, as the two of them wind up sitting across from one another on the 20th Century Limited from New York to Chicago. I know, I look vaguely familiar. Yes. You feel you've seen me somewhere before. Mm-hmm. Funny how I have that effect on people. It's something about my face. It's a nice face. You think so? I wouldn't say it if I didn't. Oh, you're that type. What type? Honest. Not really. Good, because honest women frighten me. 
Why? I don't know. Somehow they seem to put me at a disadvantage. Because you're not honest with them? Exactly. Like that business about the seven parking tickets? What I mean is, the moment I meet an attractive woman, I have to start pretending I've no desire to make love to her. What makes you think you have to conceal it? She might find the idea objectionable. Then again, she might not. Think how lucky I am to have been seated here. Well, luck had nothing to do with it. Fate? I tipped the steward $5 to seat you here if you should come in. Is that a proposition? I never discuss love but an empty stomach. You've already eaten. But you haven't. Don't you think it's time we were introduced? I'm Eve Kendall. I'm 26 and unmarried. Now you know everything. Tell me, what do you do besides lure men to their doom on the 20th Century Limited? I'm an industrial designer. Jack Phillips, Western sales manager for Kingby Electronics. No, you're not. You're Roger Thornhill of Madison Avenue, and you're wanted for murder on every front page in America. And don't be so modest. Oops. Oh, don't worry. I won't say a word. How come? I told you. It's a nice face. Is that the only reason? It's going to be a long night. True. And I don't particularly like the book I've started. Ah. You know what I mean? Ah, let me think. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. And they are off. There they go. Hmm. That's the fun thing about travel. You never know who you're going to meet, even if it's not quite as lively as that exchange. You never know. You might uh, meet a new partner. You might meet a new partner in business. You might meet a long-lost friend. You might meet just someone you wouldn't otherwise have encountered. It's very literary, even though she is suggesting she's not going to be reading on the train. A lot of people do read on the train, so that's a literary thing. Here's a little tip. Next time you watch that scene in North by Northwest, watch Eva Marie Saint's lips as she's saying, I I never discuss love on an empty stomach. She actually says, I never make love on an empty stomach. But that was considered too racy for the times, and they made her redub the line. You could still see her lips moving the original way saying make love and not discuss love. Okay, let's do one more. This one is about being home for the holidays. Maybe I'm thinking about this because we're planning our Thanksgiving meal now, and it's a little a little sad to have it for four instead of 10 or 14, as we usually do. But I am in a Thanksgiving mood. It's only a week away for those of us here in the States. Okay, this one is about being home for the holidays as Steve Martin and John Candy have concluded their marathon trip together. In Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. This is a great Thanksgiving movie, I have to say. It's also maybe the best John Hughes movie, and I don't say that lightly, having been formed 
by John Hughes movies, all those teenage movies hitting me right at the right time as a preteen and a teen. They were good, but they don't all hold up as well as this one does. Anyway, after their marathon together, the mismatched pair awkwardly say goodbye with Chicago's L in the background. Boy, do I love the Chicago L. Mmm. Some good memories there, too, of that wonderful mode of transportation, the elevated train, such a great part of Chicago. Okay, the Chicago L is in the background, separating the two of them on the platform, and here's the exchange they have. Believe it? <laughs> it's been a hell of a trip. <laughs> sure is. But uh, after all is said and done, you... You did get me home, and I really appreciate hey, it. Hey, next time, let's go first class, all right? <laughs> God, I hope there isn't a next time. Oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> I really do. This you? Yeah. It's right meeting you, Neil. It really has. I, again, I'm sorry if I caused you any trouble. Oh, no, you didn't cause me any trouble. You got me home. And uh, a little late. A couple days. But uh, I'm a little wiser, too, so. Me, too. Happy holidays. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving, Neil. Okay. Give my love to the family, will you? Same to you. Maybe I'll get a chance to meet him one day. Okay. Uh, say hello to Marie for me. I feel like I know her. Yeah. So. Okay. And uh, you have a happy Thanksgiving. Hey, you know it. <laughs> so long. You are all planning to be home for the holidays in spirit, if not physically. It could be worse, I suppose. We could all be in a war, separated by distance and danger and unable even to call home. That has happened to people throughout history. So this pandemic and quarantine maybe aren't as bad as they could be, but they feel bad to me since it's been forever since I've seen beloved family members. And I feel their absence, and the absence of everyone who's sick and suffering and grieving, and the whole country stranded in place. Hang in there, everyone. And now the door slides open and the man sticks in his head. What's this, an AA meeting? I hear you, my good man. We'll have some bonhomie coming up. And I'm always a little cheered up by things like that scene in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. I love sad scenes in movies. I love sad scenes in literature, heartbreaking scenes, moving scenes. I like being moved, it seems, emotionally and physically. How appropriate for today. So here we go. Mike gets to pick first. We'll see if he takes planes or trains or automobiles as his number one. That's coming up. Mike Palindrome and Great Literary Modes of Transportation after this. Hey, grown-ups! the Cat in the Hat cast is a new podcast from Wondery, perfect for the whole family. Join the Cat in the Hat and your favorite Dr. Seuss characters as they get whisked away on a new adventure every week. Fish dreams of creating his very own polite and quiet podcast. That is, until he gets a surprise visit to his fishbowl podcast studio from the Cat in the Hat himself, and it becomes very clear that the cat 
has other plans for the podcast, and those plans are the opposite of quiet. The cat may be disruptive, but it turns out he's also a great help to get fish out of all kinds of predicaments. Bursting with music, silliness, and rhymes, the Cat in the Hat cast encourages us all to find fun that is funny in every episode. Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat cast ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or Wondery Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Okay, joining me now is our old friend Mike Palindrome, the president of the Literature Supporters Club, who joins me for a discussion of the top 10 forms of transportation in literature. Mike, welcome back to the History of Literature. Hey, Jack. Okay, so I think there's a clear number one here, but things get pretty interesting when you start getting down into the bottom half of our top 10, and it's not an easy topic to research either. Did you do these (laughs) off the top of your head, or did you look Mm -hmm. anything up? I don't think there's really much to look up. Yeah, I think. <laughs> right. I, I started by thinking of books where the transportation really stands out, you know, where the characters mm-hmm. take some kind of ride of some sort. And then I sort of morphed into, well, which of these are the most literary? So even if I didn't have a great example of a book, right? I just thought when you see this form of transportation or when you take it yourself, does it strike mm-hmm. you as a literary kind of experience. So that was that's part of what I have here, whether it's it's analogous to literature or or seems worthy of literature in a way, even if I only had one or two examples of an actual <laughs> example being used in a book. Yeah, I, I my list gets pretty thin at the end, so I may <laughs> But I did go down to number 23 and then I had a number wow. 24 that's knocking on the door. Yeah, so I I I found plenty of them, but yeah, I I don't have a lot of notes for some of those at the bottom. Okay. So as always, I will let you take the first pick. Well, number 1 has to be trains. Yeah. I, I mean, think we, that's we a all, clear number 1. I, I love riding trains. I love riding slow trains. Yep. I've always I have some great train stories. Um so we just finished, I just finished reading Anna Karenina. So mm-hmm. that is probably the, you know, the train when I novel. Think of, yeah. Vronsky sees her for the first time at the train station and train stations generally are just a great setting in a fiction. Oh, they are. Yeah. And when I go into train stations, whether it's Grand Central or whether it's uh, any of the train stations in Europe, you just feel like you're walking into a book you feel like the yeah that it feels worthy of literature and that there's stories that are going to happen coming right out of the station and uh that it's a perfect place for a meeting point and there's something so glamorous about it but it's so uh i don't know they're still kind of embedded in the city too you know and it's just uh but then the the way the the tracks run through the countryside, and there's just so much about trains. I, I heard once that a, a homeowner said 
when I was buying a house for the first time, I, this homeowner said to me, you know, of the top 10 problems you're going to have with your house, 11 of them are related to water. And, uh, it's all about the water that's trying to get into your house some in some way or flooded or, or you know, <laughs> destroy the walls from the inside, the pipes bursting or whatever. And this is kind of how I feel about it. If I were to make a top 10 of individual examples of transportation and literature, I think 11 of them would involve trains. Yeah, and the names too, you know, Paddington yeah. Train Station, with Paddington Bear and King's Cross Station yeah. and the Harry Potter books. Yep. You know the the the, the, the platform nine yeah. and three fourths. So. Yeah, and the uh, the Orient Express, <laughs> such a great name for a train. The Trans Siberian Railway, the the Polar Express. Their kids' books. The trains are great. Thomas the Tank Engine, and and I had Harry Potter here too. Kids love trains. There's something uh, uh, something about trains that appeal to people of all ages. I think. It's great. We've got Dr. Zhivago running along the platform. Madame Bovary rode the train. It's, and, maybe and, it's something about the time period, too, that trains were coming into prominence when the novel was coming into prominence. It was kind of at its peak in that century and, and into the 20th century. I think that's that's maybe part of it, that novels are such a great vehicle, no pun intended, for big stories and big sweeping dramas and the train was right there as kind of the most prominent form of transportation that matched what novels were trying to do. And I was thinking also into the modern era, the 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 train times like Cheever catching the same train. Mm, yep. I had that and, too. Commuter yeah, trains. Yeah. And earlier with Proust in Proust, he catches the one twenty two from Paris to Baalbek. Yeah. Yeah. The way that trains had started to mark the time, you see that in Thoreau, where he starts talking about that. And uh, Nabokov loved getting on trains. And it's sort of this the other thing that's great about it is you can meet strangers. Yeah. Uh, and that can be suspenseful, like in Alfred Hitchcock, he loved using trains, or it can be romantic. You know, it can be a plot device. It, it's the perfect literary form of transportation. <laughs> Yeah, and, and um, train riding, you know, with East of Eden riding on the top of trains, mm. Orwell train jumping, and yeah, right, right, so many different facets yeah. of of trains yep. and what they represent. And, I mean, Augie March was was jumping trains, and they, you know, in, in graphic novels, um, mm. The the I, I don't know if you've seen this movie that's based on a French graphic novel. The the movie is called Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer, yeah. yeah. And Ugh. every car of the train is uh, designated for a particular class, and the yeah. upper class rides in the front. And the train never stops. It's been going. The train never it's, yeah, because yeah. it's apocalypse and the earth is frozen, and the train is the only place that's safe. Mm. So yeah, trains are just great microcosms of the of, of the world um yeah and then you can read on trains that's another good thing i mean it's oh, sort of like yeah. you know uh it's a big okay so trains number one you took it you're gonna win the draft just from taking <laughs> just from taking trades so i'll go for my uh this was my number two uh mm -hmm. which is boats uh, uh and it's okay. it's kind of like trains on water i guess that's the yeah. uh you know the only time that <laughs> That worked didn't work in reverse was when uh, the love boat was so popular and they tried to make a love boat version on a train and it was a huge flop. Do you remember that? 
No, really? Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I think it was called Super Train. And mm-hmm. the idea was it was going to be, you know, couples getting on kind of like the love boat, but it, it didn't work. Maybe because trains move too fast. I don't know. But boats, you've got uh, Mark Twain's steamboat. You've got Huck Finn's mm-hmm. raft. You've got Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, where he's on the boat telling the story about the boat ride oh, up the, yeah, up the river the Heart of Darkness. Yeah, that's really good. You've got the whaling vessel in Moby Dick. I mean, I'm feeling like this is a pretty worthy choice. Like, it's it's not trains, but it's up there. You've got pirate ships and... Uh, you've got the Odyssey and you've military You've got the Odyssey, invasion. yeah. You've got shipwrecks where you have, yeah. you know, someone's on floating wreckage or a life raft. You've got stories like Patrick O'Brien of the Napoleonic era, tall ships or ships of war. You've mm-hmm. got ocean liners, cruises. You, it's got a lot of, there's something very romantic about a, a voyage on water, and it does feel like a very worthy literary choice. Yeah, I mean, personally, water is terrifying and so (laughs) (laughs) when you when when you're on a boat there's a scene in the road where there's they've kind of the father and the son have run out of food and they see this boat rocking in um off the shore and it's hasn't fully sunk but it's half submerged and the father goes i have to go out there to see if there's any food there Mm. and um there's something about a half sunk ship that just the water is kind of pouring in and he's looking around for food and it's it it, it perfectly captures my fear of boats and water yeah. so right yeah and even when you're on a ship you know you might still get the waves you might still get the rocking there's a, a feeling that you can be trapped that you can't get yeah. away from it is if you're feeling a little seasick you feel like you're you're stuck, but I love reading about it. I love reading about uh, yeah, uh, you know, and and there's always something great to me when I'm reading the Patrick O'Brien books about when they're in the the captain's cabin and and they're having their little meal or they're uh, you know they they feel away from the rest of the world and there's something kind of um, there's something kind of enjoyable about being below deck and being somewhere safe when it's raining outside or or something it feels very cozy to me in a ship in that sense yeah the enclosed enclosed space i think that's the the best thing about trains and boats the the first two picks and yeah although ships do have this advantage where you can also go out and stare at the ocean or stare at the land uh you know you can be part of nature in a way that you don't get with a train so that i guess is one advantage so i'm feeling okay but let's move on to pick number two and see these there's going to be a drop off here uh, pretty yeah. fast so well, i'm gonna i'm gonna do this because i'm afraid you're gonna take it so i'll do cars yeah okay <laughs> and, <laughs> I, that uh, is number four i mean we start with just classic americana the on the road yep the Jack idea Kerouac. that anything can happen when you climb into a car and even like the music of chance with paul oster i mean and Kind of my favorite example is um, Toad in Wind in the Willows. I don't mm, know, but yep. he gets into accidents all the time. And but then that's Steve in a Model T car. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. in a Model T. You know, another great car book is Lolita. Oh right, where yeah, uh, Humbert Humbert is really celebrating the open road. 
there's yeah. uh cars are great i mean cars the other thing that's good about cars for literature you know there was a game john gardner was talking about a game that writers used to play in the 70s i think where they would say what kind of smoke are you have you heard mm-hmm. of this game which mm-hmm. uh, it basically it was because everybody smoked and so it would be you know oh i'm marlboro red or i'm camel light and then you would talk about characters in a story what kind of what kind of smoke is the character meaning what kind of cigarette you know, mm-hmm. oh, this is this this character would smoke Dunhills or this one would smoke American Spirits or that kind of, you know, Galwazes or, you know, whatever the, the character would be. Mm-hmm. You could do that with cars. You know, cars can be a sign of wealth or status or, you know, you could someone can have a beat up Corolla or, uh, you know, it's a signifier. Someone someone could own a tesla or someone could own a volvo and it kind of says something about the character in a way but what i just love about it from a literary perspective is just that it's 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 power and it's autonomy and it's there's teenage freedom and and romance uh for older couples it's a place for conversation there's often arguing that happens in a in a car uh, and then it's got some great examples. There's a flying car in Harry Potter. There's Great Gatsby has a, a bright yellow 1928 Rolls-Royce Tourer car. Uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Christine was a very memorable car. Uh, so that's a good pick. That's uh, I had it as number four, but I could see uh, I could see why you took it as your number two. What's your number two? Okay, so the one I had just above car was uh, stagecoach slash uh, <laughs> handsome cab slash horse drawn carriage or wagon. So any kind of carriage mm-hmm. or or cab pulled by a horse covered wagon, I guess, would fit in here too. So in Jane Eyre, Rochester asks Jane to help him buy an appropriate one that would kind of demonstrate his status. Uh, Sherlock Holmes, I love it when he's being pulled through London in the cobblestone streets in the handsome cab. Dickens, it's great in there too. And then Madame Bovary, that's why I put it ahead of uh, Kerouac Mm -hmm. and Lolita is the seduction scene where she's in the carriage and they pull the curtains. And I I put uh, the carriage as number three just based on that alone. Yeah, I, I I love the scenes in War and Peace where they're fleeing uh, the Russians. The wealthy Russians are f- retreating from Moscow because the French have um, taken the city and they're carrying all their china in their carriages and they come across um, people who are wounded or the poor with carrying their children and they um, some of the wealthy and some of them some of the wealthy don't do this, but they, they take the china out of their carriage and allow the, the wounded onto Mm, the carriage yeah right there's something i mean it's very close to a car but there's something just a little maybe it's because i'm i'm looking back to 19th century novels and uh but there's something a little more romantic about having it be a horse-drawn carriage and the wheels and the driver and then the the you know make room for the three or four people or the the queen or someone is is in the care you know someone's in disguise in the carriage and okay so we're up to your number three well i was gonna go with carriage but all right mm. i'll have to go with airplane mm, yeah <laughs> yeah um, and i think even more than a train there's a there's a real sense of chance meetings i was thinking of uh Rachel Cusk's uh, outline or the opening of Norwegian Wood. Mm. 
you know, it can be a chance meeting with a person or it can be some moment of uh, introspection where you're reading a book because airplanes are just great for reading. Right. But I, I was I was hard pressed to think of one where like some kind of action um, or. Yeah. Like something disastrous happens on a plane in a novel. Yeah, I actually had it as number 16 on my list. <laughs> uh, and I I think it's just a, maybe I'm just tired of planes or, or the airport experience has gotten less romantic over time and, and more uh, mm-hmm. just tedious. And you feel a little bit like you're being shuttled around, like you're not totally in control. Uh, there is something pretty great about a casual journey or a, a an unexpected journey, but planes no longer really have that. It's not like you can just show up at the airport and buy a ticket anymore. And I don't know, you can't walk around the way you can on a train and you can't, people aren't getting on and off. And I don't know, it just felt, uh, it felt a little stifling to me, but 16 is probably a little low <laughs> <laughs> because there is something great about flying to, you know, from, New York to Saudi Arabia or something and and you start in one place and you end up in this completely other place it's it's kind of transformative and that's pretty exciting I think I just love riding the flying in planes yeah or maybe maybe I viewed it as anti-literary in the sense that when you travel by land or by water you're Mm -hmm. making the journey uh, it feels more human and when you travel by plane it feels a little bit like teleportation or something it's just sort of a cheat code uh you're not really traveling along the land you're not really encountering the human beings who live in that land you're just going up in the air and hovering over everything which i could see why maybe that appeals to you more than to me since you're you know <laughs> sort of the uh highfalutin of the two of us <laughs> Uh, okay, so I am up to my number three. You know, I I was going to actually on my list here. I can't believe you have sixteen. Yeah, well, I've got twenty-four. <laughs> I'll tick through them at the end. Oh my god! So let's let's take a break and then we'll come back with my number three. This is going to be a little bit anticlimactic, and we're just—I'm just going to say that this is 
uh, mm-hmm. part of the the fantastic quality of a train that my, the next one on my list is actually underground trains. So subways, metros, monorails. Mm-hmm. There's something exciting about this where you can travel from point A to point B where you go underground and then you're in this tunnel, which has got this almost like a, uh, there's something dungeon-like about being underground in the New York subway or something. And then you emerge back on the street and you're in this completely different place. Again, it's kind of like teleporting. The reason why I was going to have this further down on the list, but I, I knocked it up a few notches because Ezra Pound has that great poem in the station of the Metro, uh, which mm-hmm. is just two lines. The apparition of these faces in the crowd pedals on a wet black bow, which is one of the great short poems in English. And then I also, there's a lot of, there's a surprising amount of literacy on the subway that people are reading and you can see what they're reading. And there's a lot of stories where people notice something that someone else is reading and then they're kind of drawn to that person and either they have an encounter or there's some mystery about that person based on what they're reading. And then there's a, a lot of action movies and, and uh, I tried to avoid films for this. I tried to just stick to books, but the Da Vinci Code has stuff on the subway, Metroland, Julian Barnes' book, Atonement, uh, Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie. You know, there is something, uh, uh, it has a pretty good pedigree. Yeah, I, I had that on my list. And also, I like the way Colson Whitehead used the idea of it in Underground Railroad mm. by like creating a, a, a passageway, an escape route mm. for mm-hmm. slaves. Yeah. That it wasn't a real railroad, but... You know, the idea of it as a metaphor, I think, you know, tapping on what you're saying about how it's such a great, you know, symbol, Mm. Um, the idea of like going underground and then merging somewhere else. Yeah, right. And I I appreciate it so much as uh, this way of moving around the city. I mean, you probably take it for granted, but uh, when I was living in New York, it's just such a a fantastic thing. You, you, You find yourself wishing that every city had that. I mean, I... DC has got 24 hours, which is the other crazy thing. Yeah. And DC has got it, but it's not the same when you can't walk to it, when you're driving and parking or taking a bus to the station. And it's not the same as Manhattan where you, you don't even really have to ask if you're looking to rent an apartment, you don't ask, uh, is it close to a subway? You just assume that it will be. Whereas in DC, you have to factor that in and say, oh, well, how long will it take me to get to the Metro? Wait, so how many are, are, are we doing? We're doing five each, right? Five each, yep. All right, so I'll, I'll leave my, my crazy one for number five. So for number four, I did a very, uh, speaking of New York, a very New York uh, form, which is taxis, which I know oh, yeah. should be covered by cars, but yep. I think of them as so distinct. I'm, I'm thinking of like Catcher in the Rye when yeah. Olden is having a conversation with the, the cab driver about ducks and where do they go in the winter and Thinking about um, Martin Amos um, and money, taking cabs, mm-hmm. Bright Lights, Big City. I just feel like cabs in um, literature, it just says so much about the era, the way the cab is described. Like in Bellow, the cab is almost like a, it feels like a Lincoln Town Car. Like you can do what you want. I think there's like some groping in Herzog mm. in the cab. Whereas like, you know, in more recent novels, the cab is like a dirty, very pragmatic way to travel. Yeah. 
It does feel pragmatic. It it feels always to me like it's the city. It feels like it's money, you know, that you've got the money to take a cab and it's the freedom of it. There's something there's something more free than a car where you don't have to park it. You don't have to worry about it. You just jump in and jump out where you want to be. And while you're inside, you have these you can have these good conversations, whether it's with your driver or whether it's with a fellow passenger. But I always like there was something that felt almost safe to me. It was like a sanctuary from the city that, you know, I, I would take the train up a lot of times uh, from D.C., take the train up, get out at Penn Station, you emerge on the street, suddenly you're overwhelmed by the city, everything's hitting you all at once, and then you get in the cab and it's this little, you know, you turn off yeah. that stupid uh, video of <laughs> Liza Minnelli or somebody talking to you about uh, welcoming you to New York and the the jokes and the ads or whatever turn that off and then suddenly you know you can just take in the city from inside this little uh little glass looking out the windows at the streets and everything and and you can kind of exhale and feel like you're that your next stop is going to be at your hotel or your office where you're working or whatever and it's it's so much more amplified when you're a teenager. When I was 16, I was working at a travel agency after school, making um, really good money because we were inputting tickets, and I'd memorized the numerical keyboard so I could input the tickets really, really quickly. And I must have spent like half my uh, salary on cabs. <laughs> I just decided yeah. one summer I was just going to cab everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's great. It and it feels it it feels kind of grown up and it feels uh there there is uh I do love taxis. Okay, that was number 11 on my list. Mm -hmm. So, I'm going to take for my fourth pick my number 6, which is the magic carpet. Uh which is really uh I'm taking this pretty much based on 1001 nights. Uh, whoever sitteth on this carpet and willeth in thought to be taken up and set down upon other sight will in the twinkling of an eye be born thither, be that place near hand or distant, many a day's journey and difficult to reach. It's throughout Persian literature that they would jump on these magic carpets and they're also present in some Russian folk tales. I guess there aren't many other uses of magic carpets, but it's such a it's such a great you know, you associate magic carpets with storytelling and being told stories. And uh, I it, it kind of made me think there's something literary about oriental carpets in general. Just the intricacy of it, the design of it. It feels substantive. And I was getting a little bit carried away thinking about it. But I thought, <laughs> you know what? You know, I've got, I'll tell you the rest of my list. I don't want to step all over your last pick or anything. But when I think of what deserves a place on a list of literary forms of transportation, this one just stood out as doing better than some of the other ones on my list. Okay, so what's your last pick? I went with uh, cross-country skiing oh. solely on the basis of uh, the Magic <laughs> Mountain. <laughs> In particular, the snow chapter. Right. Where, um... Oh, yeah. We've done that. We've talked about that. That's in episode 200, the famous uh, Magic Mountain episode. Where if, if trains are about chance encounters, cross-country skiing is about isolation. <laughs> and yeah, that's true. one companion. Um, and uh, kind of getting lost in your memories and just, um, just clearing your mind. I think skiing... Mm. 
is amazing in that way because there's something about being up on the slope that you just block out everything. I mean, you, your life can be crap, but you really don't think about anything other than executing turns. And I, I just think it's one of the high points of Magic Mountain when he goes out on his skis and loses track of yeah. where he is and loses track of how long, how much time has elapsed. And it's also a lot of fun. So again, my personal take on this mode of transportation. That's a good one, although it was not on my list. I missed it. That was uh, not in the top 23 or my up-and-coming uh, one knocking on the door. You know what? I'm not even going to take a fifth pick. I'm going to just run through the rest of my picks as being the uh, sort of tied for 10th here. Wait, but can I can I ask you if, if you have hiking on your list? Well, that was going to be my next one, but it's so boring <laughs> that I didn't want to take it. Walking was my number seven well, from the Brontes and Kathy and Heathcliff on the Moors and Thoreau and Russo and, and the walk that Tom Jones takes from Somerset to London. And uh, I, But, you I, know, I, I don't know. I had it on my list because that's my favorite John McPhee essay, Travels mm. in Georgia, about the uh, ecologist Carol uh, Ruckdashel. Yeah, and all the hiking she does when she was, she actually when she was eleven, she used to hike four miles every day to the river. It's one of those where it's it's like choosing water as a beverage. I mean, it's sort of it's <laughs> it's it's going to be in every book, so you could say it's the most important for literature. But and and then you could find instances where people are walking and and having the, some conversation or they see something important or they think something important but it right. just felt a little bit like uh, a little at odds with what we're trying to do here with modes of transportation but i did have it as a number seven i'm surprised you didn't take my number eight which is uh rockets Magical. and spaceships <laughs> I thought you were going to say magic horses. <laughs> rockets and spaceships ultimately yeah. i didn't take it because i even though i know they're prominent in science fiction i i sort of associated them more with movies so they didn't yeah. quite make my list number nine i had horses 10 i had dog sleds which was mainly from call of the wild but also i think the dog sled is a really literary form of getting around it's a little difficult a yeah. little romantic uh, a little exciting 11 i had taxis 12 i had hot air balloons uh mainly from around the world in 80 days but again there's something you know, kind of grand and, and beautiful about the hot air balloon. There's a the, the that opening scene yeah. of Ian McEwan's in McCune, yeah. Love. Right. It's a, it's a right. great. And that the boy, well, I don't know if people have read it, but yeah, I, I don't want to give it away what, what happens. But as it unfolds, it goes from being this spectacle that anyone would look at to this horror. Yeah, right. Because it's so slow moving. I think it's just such a great opening yeah it's... yeah i had the experience once where i was on the golf course and i was like lining up a shot and all of a sudden i heard a guy say like oh looks good or something and he was so close to me it almost knocked me over that i thought there was this person who was standing right behind me and it was a hot air balloon was traveling over Wow, <laughs> and he was so low to the ground, you know. But it was so quiet; I didn't even know that it was almost upon me. Okay, number thirteen, I had rickshaws because of my <laughs> uh, love for those when I <laughs> I was traveling through Asia. Fourteen, I had bicycles, which some people might have higher, but I I put that almost like walking. It was a little a little dull. Fifteen, I had buses, which 
I thought of Flannery O'Connor and just the way that humanity can get mixed together in a bus. And there's school buses in children's literature, like from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basilie Frankenweiler was very memorable. But other than the strange bedfellows aspects of it, I kind of resent buses more than I appreciate buses. And so I knocked it down a few pegs. 16, mm-hmm. I had planes. 17 was submarines. 18, I guess I, oh, I had taxis in here twice. I, so I guess I should take that out. 19, I had teleporting. 20, I had camels. 21, mules slash donkeys. <laughs> uh, 22, skateboards. And 23, scooters. And then the up and coming one I had was ride shares, which I think is going to be, I mean, Uber and, and Lyft and that kind of thing. I think that's going to end up being very high on the list going forward because I think a lot of people are coming to use that kind of like taxis or it's it's going to have a kind of romanticism to it of just jumping in an Uber and it will spread in a way to other cities and locations that taxis don't service. I mean, Manhattan is a perfect place for taxis, but Uber is much more useful in uh, cities outside of New York. You didn't have um, Elon Musk's single um, pneumatic tube? The Hyperloop? No. And you know, (laughs) I heard recently, I was all excited about that, like everybody else, like, oh, wow, you could travel, you know, what, what was it? It was like LA to New York in 45 minutes or something. And it was like he was building some some test tracks and stuff. I actually heard recently, just a few days ago, that that was part of a plan he had to kill high speed rail that was going through. It was about to be uh, was about to be passed, and he then declared, you know, this thing which he had sort of famously written on a back of an envelope or a napkin or something, and uh, yeah. announced that he was about to start testing it and everything, and it. It apparently it helped defeat whatever measure they were about to pass to enable an actual high speed train. And then it wasn't for a couple of years that he sort of acknowledged that the Hyperloop idea is is completely not feasible and it's probably not going to happen. And in the meanwhile, he got enough people to vote against the high speed rail he, he, like he. There were a bunch of people who were against it anyway, and then he got a couple of stragglers, apparently, who were like, well, why don't we just wait for the Hyperloop? And they voted against it, and so L.A. to San Francisco didn't get the actual train they could have had, and trains is number one. So uh, (laughs) all those Californians were deprived their chance to ride in the most literary form of transportation available. (laughs) Okay, well, let's leave things there. Mike, as always, thanks for joining me on the History of Literature. Thanks, Jack. Okay, there we go. That's going to do it for this episode of the History of Literature. My thanks to Mike Palindrome for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed going on this journey with us or those multiple journeys as we all dream our way back to a more mobile world. And in the meantime, we can read about them, those clattering wheels and clip-clopping horses' hooves, those helicopter blades chopping the sky, those zooming jet engines turning us into Icarus or Icari, or of course, those piping steam whistles and the beautiful chug-chugging of the locomotive engine and the heart-lifting rattle of 19th century iron wheels against iron. The glorious train... May she run on her tracks forever, from her station to her destination. 
We are a part of the Podglomerate Network, www.thepodglomerate.com and LitHub Radio. You can find us at facebook.com slash historyofliterature at historyofliterature.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash literature. I'm Jack Wilson. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Conglomerate, a sonic universe.